Hello. I think we're live. Hopefully. Hopefully. There's about a 50% chance that this doesn't record. And you know what? That's fine. Because this is for us and not the imaginary listeners we do not have yet. <laughs> Zero followers. Um, I'm so excited. I don't know. I'm just like, I'm really, this has been like really fun. Um, so our podcast is to... Who are we? Oh, yeah. Who are we? Let's start there. <laughs> I'm Charlotte. Uh, and I'm Katie. And we've been best friends since January 1988. Yeah, pretty much. So over 30 years. That's pretty good. Um, Not to reveal our age. No, we are still very young and spry. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's been a long time. And I think one of the foundations of our friendship has been a mutual love of reading. Um, Because we were nerds. Yeah. Shocker. (laughs) (laughs) We've got the photos to prove it. Um, And we decided we just like really wanted to talk about books we love. So here we are. Especially in a time when there's not that many things (laughs) else to talk about that we love. (laughs) There's terrible things to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. So why not talk about things we love? Um, So that's kind of. I think the model, we haven't really figured out like how this is all going to work, but like each week we'll, or each episode we'll pick a book Mm -hmm. and then read it and talk about it. Yeah. Um, That's kind of as far as we've thought. That's our origin story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess so one of the things I wanted to start with is like, I don't know if rules is the right word, but Mm -hmm. like standards or guiding values. Okay. So one is that I think this is meant to be joy for both of us. I think both of us have a lot going on in our lives that is kind of crazy right now, as a lot of people are right now. So this is meant to be like joy. And I think we should always remember that this is a place of joy and it's not meant to be stressful or like an added burden for anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And then two is that I think our friendship is amazing and we have an amazing foundation of 30 years. And so we can be honest with each other about how we feel, about what we're thinking, and, you know, we'll always be friends. I think our friendship will survive this podcast. Yeah. That, so. <laughs> that was not the thing I was ever worried about. <laughs> well, I just was like, I don't want this to be, like, a source of stress for either yeah. of us. It's meant to be, like, a source of happiness. Yeah. So. What I'm hearing, audience, that you're probably not hearing is Charlotte is anticipating this becoming very famous and the fame and money tearing us apart, a la the Beatles, probably. Yeah, this isn't going to, I don't think anyone will listen to this, so maybe, maybe that's premature. But I like where your head's at. I like, yeah, I like you gotta think big. You, you gotta know? believe you gotta in us. Shoot for the stars and you'll hit the moon or whatever the. Nope, that's, that's a terrible that. saying. It's <laughs> not how stars or moons work. No, isn't it like you aim for the thing and then you, even if you fail, you're still in the stars? Something like that. So. <laughs> Nailed it. Perfect. Okay, I love this as like our intro. Um, so the book that we both read recently that we wanted to talk about and we thought would be a great starting point for this is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. Yeah, so excited. I loved it. Loved it too. Spoiler. Uh, 
Um, oh, yeah, actually, that's a really good point. To start off this conversation, there are going to be spoilers. We have both read the full book, um, and we are going to be talking about the full book. So if you haven't finished The Vanishing Half yet, and, hit, and you're interested in w- to see where this conversation is going, which, God bless you, um, <laughs> uh, then I hit pause and come back later. But we're going to be talking about The Vanishing Half with just spoilers abound. So just emotionally and mentally prepare for that. And if you somehow don't read the book, but just like want to find out what happens, you can also keep listening. Yeah, this will be your cliff notes. Yes. Yeah, cliff notes. Okay, good. Perfect. Um, Okay, so I also loved this book. Um, This is uh, written by Britt Bennett. Uh, It was published earlier this year, 2020. Um, And she is a California native, which you love to see it, um, as are we. And she went to Stanford and I saw her interviewed and she gave this really interesting um, perspective of when you go to Stanford, uh, if you say you want to be an English major or a writer, people look at you like you're just not trying that hard. Um, <laughs> like, <enough>. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, then why Stanford? Yeah. <laughs> um, and she found some really great mentors who really encouraged her to move forward like on this path. And she found a space where she could kind of like really dive into her creative writing. And here we are years later, um, raving about her newest book. Uh, this is her second book, her sophomore novel, if you will. Um, her first book was the mothers. Um, and which I haven't read yet, but I have, and I'm very much excited to read, after reading this one. Yeah, have we could, no, I haven't, I haven't finished it yet, but we could Benjamin button it and do this book first and then her other book later. For sure. Perfect. Um, and so the vanishing half starts with, do you want to do, do you want to tee off the, uh, like synopsis? It's not, yeah. I mean, at a high level, it's really about two twin sisters who, um, come from a small town in Louisiana and each take very different paths in their lives. That's at the like 10,000 foot view. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I guess should we spoil it? Yeah, we, I guess we are. We already, we well, are. I mean, like that's part of what is also known about the book too. So uh, these girls are from a town in Louisiana that was founded by um, a man who was the descendant of slaves and a, a master. And so he's half white, half black. And so he finds himself too black for white society and too white for black society. And so he founds this town that could be a place for people like him. Um, And so this town of Mallard, Louisiana, becomes this uh, safe space and, you know, its own culture of light-skinned black people. Um, And as the years go on and the generations go on, it's you come to these twin girls who are his direct descendants who uh, are so light-skinned that they pass for white and really what the book is asking also at a high level is like (laughs) what is race Mm -hmm. um and what does race mean and how do we track it and why do we care so much um and so it brings up some very timely conversational pieces for the world that we're living in um but in not at all a heavy-handed way and I think this could have been very heavy-handed and it is really just excellent eloquent writing um about women and not a really races like the backdrop, not really the, the forefront. Yeah, I, I loved it. I thought, um, you know, if you think about a book and one in terms of like just entertainment and like how fast I read something, I, this is definitely like, a, like I finished this in like two days. So ate this up. So it was a 
home run for me on that point. But the other kind of metric is like, how impactful is this book? And for me, this book really changed, I think, or opened my eyes to different perspectives or asking myself questions about what is race? What is our identity? Are we born with certain traits? How do we create ourselves? Like, how do we forge our own identities? Can you ever escape your your past or where you come from? I mean, I think this book, not only is it just like a great read, but it's super interesting in the questions that it kind of um, prompts or provokes. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, especially given the backdrop of what's going on right now um, in the summer of 2020 is, I mean, it could not be more timely, I think. Yeah. Um, One of the things that I thought was particularly interesting about this book is, uh, again, spoilers, um, one twin, um, Desiree, mm -hmm. wants to escape this town and go out and like live a life. Um, and her, her sister, um, really kind of wants to be the teacher in their local hometown, doesn't really want to leave town. And due to financial circumstances, they both end up running away to New Orleans. And um, so Desiree is the sister who wants to go away. Stella is the sister who wanted to stay. Um, Desiree ends up in uh, Washington, D.C. for a while. She marries a black man. She has a beautiful daughter. Um, but her daughter is extremely dark skin, looks like her dad. Um, and then Desiree finds herself back in Mallard, this like light skinned haven with a very dark skinned daughter. And Stella is missing for the first mm -hmm. half of the book. And really what it comes down to is this, again, like the book as a whole is about choice. And so essentially Desiree chooses to live as a black woman and Stella chooses to live as a white woman. Um, and what that has meant for both of them and their impact and the impact of how the world sees them uh, on their lives and on their children. Yeah. No, I thought it was just really interesting in that these two girls who came who grew up in the totally same environment, look the same, they're identical mm -hmm. twins, um, just take totally different paths in life. And, you know, they suffer the same horrible kind of um, tragedy of seeing their dad being really, you know, I mean, basically murdered mm -hmm. in front of their eyes. And um, their reactions to that are just so vastly different. And I think, again, that poses the question of like, you know, how we are all individuals and yet we're, we can be so similar in other ways, but We, our reactions and our personalities can be so unique. I just thought it was so clever the way that the story was constructed. Mm -hmm. And so basically at about the halfway point of the book, you meet Stella. Mm -hmm. um, but the first half of the book, Stella is a memory and not a present character. Um, and I, what I really found interesting about, you know, Desiree seems a little bit more to have control and agency in her life. Um, and even with all of the bad choices, um, that were left to her, um, she figured out how to make the best of them or to, you know, she goes back home, lives with her mom, with her daughter, tries to figure out how to take care of like her daughter in a town that is really not built for someone who looks like Jude. Jude is her daughter. Um, and so there is a really interesting tension in how Desiree lives her life. And then you cut to Stella and Stella is all reaction. Um, Stella doesn't seem to have any choices. Stella seems to have been caught up in something and really can't make any decisions or speak up for herself in any substantive way, it seems. Like she's just kind of passive in her life. Um, and so all these things where her wealth and her, uh, she ends up marrying uh, a wealthy white man and they have a daughter and she lives this very high 
society life in Los Angeles um, and is extremely lonely. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I don't know if I see her as much as passive, as much as like she, she took a path and now the momentum has just carried her away. Mm -hmm. Like she, she doesn't have the ability to stop what she started. But there are things that I find interesting, like, you know, the, the naming of her daughter. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, as the story progresses, you find out that also Stella has a daughter and her name is Kennedy. I mean, like Kennedy is like, you know, the Kennedys are probably one of the wealthiest mm -hmm. white kind of echelon yeah. of society of American society. I thought, you know, that choice that she made in naming her daughter, she's trying to get as far away from her, her past mm -hmm. in a way, it seemed, which was... Um, so in that sense, I do see her making a choice, but I don't know. I see her point. Like, I do see the, the point that she is in a way passive or doesn't know how to like get out of the situation that she's yeah. cre created for herself. Yeah. That's a great point though. Cause she like the, uh, evoking Camelot almost in her life seems like such a interesting parallel, especially from the outside looking in, you've got all this glamour, but there's also this extreme devastation that also happens with like the Kennedy family. And so that's mm -hmm. an interesting parallel as well and loss. Um, yeah. And Stella, I thought was really just fascinating to watch unfold in, you know, every, her whole world is built on these lies. Like every brick she lays mm -hmm. is uh, to further this broad lie. But it's interesting because when you get to later in the book and her, later in her life, at what point is it a lie? Like, Truly, she's viewed and seen and moves through the world as a white woman. And why, at what point is that really a lie? Yeah, or in, and at what point it becomes reality, mm -hmm. right? Which is like, I think, again, the, the theme of this book is like, how do you construct your own identity or how do you construct what you want to be real versus like um, what maybe you came from before? Because I think the other piece we haven't talked about, but which I loved about this book is... Um, Jude, when you meet her, so she's Desiree's daughter, um, you know, as she's growing up, she meets um, Reese, who, mm -hmm. like, that was, I think, just also a brilliant twist that I wasn't expecting, is Reese is a um, transgender man, and, um, you know, he, in his own way, is, you know, making his, I, I don't know, making his identity, I feel like this is just very sensitive in the way to talk about it, but I'm trying to articulate it properly yeah. is like, he's, you know, he's kind of forged his own identity, which is different than how he was born mm -hmm. in, in a biological sense. And so how does that, you know, that paralleled with the Stella choosing to be white, but she came from a black family, I thought was just a really interesting, um, you know, parallel. Yeah. Right. Parallel between the two. Um, one of the things I thought was, also very interesting about like Reese as a character um, and really Stella and Jude, all of them ending up in Los Angeles is one Shar and I are both from Los Angeles mm -hmm. um, and currently recording from Washington, DC. Mm -hmm. um, but Los Angeles kind of becomes its own character or like subplot almost within mm -hmm. this book where, you know, all these people who have chosen to create the version of themselves that they like, either feel most authentic or they're choosing to be like Los Angeles has always attracted people who have like an ambition for who they want to become. Um, and people who go out there to act and go out there to pursue fame and stardom um, are going. Cause that's where, you know, 
you know, that's where that industry is. But I think that there's something interesting about Reese going and, you know, finding his, like, a way to be authentic. And he kind mm-hmm. of talks about his trip from where he grew up. Oh, gosh, I think in Kentucky, but I could be wrong on that. Um, maybe Oklahoma. Either way, where he grew up um in like a rural, small, conservative Christian community to Los Angeles, um, you know, he hitchhiked and he like road tripped. And along the way, he was shedding his like previous identity as, you know, a teenage woman. Um, And so by the time he ends up in Los Angeles, he has become Reese and dropped, you know, his backstory um, or his, you know, uh, you know, he's figured out how to become who he is. He is yeah. yeah. But yeah. And who, who he is and how he wants the world to see him. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and what I, but I also thought what was really refreshing is the way that the author, like, you know, Jude meets Reese and, and there wasn't this, like, I feel like before you've seen a trope of like someone finding out, Oh, you're, you're transgender. And I didn't know, or like, but that mm-hmm. would be a plot point. And it's just not, it's just, she just accepts Reese as is, and I love that because I think you know Shit's Creek is I think we I, talked about <laughs> we talked we both love the show, but I think that's another show that does that so well. That was um, exactly yeah. the thing I was going to bring up too, where it's like you know Shit's Creek built a world that we want to live in, and I feel like Britt Bennett did a similar thing too, where mm-hmm. it is. Uh, you know, you could go for these low tropes that have Mm -hmm. just been pervasive in a transphobic society. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was never a talking point here. And so as a reader, you kind of are like almost waiting for the shoe to drop and you're like, oh no, this can't, I'm I'm worried for what's going to happen here. And you don't have to worry. And I think that there's something really elegant about how she held that tension um because i don't think that was accidental i think that that was part craft on her end Mm -hmm. to make us kind of like hold that and worry and kind of live i think what some of these characters lived with their lives yeah no i thought it was i thought it was great i really liked that that Mm storyline um and uh i think to your point uh you know you were talking about people moving to la and la being becoming its own character which i didn't think about but but totally is true. And I think you see that also in um, the kind of next generation. So Kennedy, the daughter of Mm -hmm. Stella and Jude, Desiree's daughter, kind of each interestingly inherit a part of this, I guess, disagree. I don't know if disagreement between Stella and Desiree or this kind of rift that they've had Mm -hmm. um, in their own ways. And, and Kennedy, you know, I think she becomes, she wants to be an actress, which again, is very much about playing the part of someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually she becomes a real estate agent much later in the book. And there's a, a line where she talks about, you know, showing people, you know, new houses or houses they could buy and like, imagine the life that you could lead here and be here. And like, all of that calls back to the same thing of like, how do you create a character or a life um, outside of the one that you have right now? Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's interesting that Jude goes the other way where she wants to be a doctor, which is rooted in science and in very like factual, uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else. Yeah. <laughs> science facts. <laughs> but, but it's just different. Interesting. I, I also really like the story for that setup between the two generations mm-hmm. and how the different generations, and actually it's the next generation that really repairs or I don't know if repairs is the right word, but, but kind of um, brings the two sisters together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, because it really, as much as it's a story about the twins, um, it is essentially a story about four women mm -hmm. and how their lives kind of intersect and don't. Um, and Jude going on to be a doctor, I thought was really fascinating, especially uh, with like a partner who's trans and was trying to seek medical help. And um, there's also, you know, part of the book takes place um, in Los Angeles in the 80s in the mm -hmm. AIDS epidemic. And so uh, they're part of a community of people that is being ravaged by the AIDS crisis. And seeing how little help was available, I think was part of it. And that's never really explicit. And maybe I've just extrapolated that because of my own, you know, what I was thinking, but I, I, there's such a, there's such a humanity to Jude who felt always like an outsider until she found a community of outsiders. Mm -hmm. um, and then she kind of really pointed herself in the direction of being of service, um, which is such an interesting way to like kind of pivot it. Whereas Kennedy did the opposite and she, not the opposite, but Kennedy was very like self-indulgent mm -hmm. mostly because her parents also indulged her and there was nothing else. You know, she, she had that luxury um, and then kind of never really found a path forward. So there's some real like interesting, and I guess that's a little bit what the moms did as well. Desiree mm -hmm. kind of took care of like their mother when she was older and couldn't care for herself. And, you know, it's just kind of a, all of these threads weave together really seamlessly. Yeah. It was, it was great. I think one of the um, pieces moving a little bit towards the end is, mm -hmm. is, or to recall the title is the vanishing half. I thought at towards the end of the book, there's no real, like, I mean, it just kind of fades. Like mm -hmm. it's exactly what the title says, the vanishing half. Like it just kind of fades into the story continues. And I, you know, the, the town is kind of fading. Um, there's just, just, you know, the mother uh, has Alzheimer's. And so her memory is fading. Like there's all these kind of callbacks to the idea that just life kind of tapers or, or slowly ebbs. Mm -hmm. um, there isn't as much of like a drastic, like, climax or plot twist like in the last couple pages like I found myself at the end of the book being like oh is there something else you know what else is coming what else is coming and it was just kind of like oh and this is kind of how life continued and and you know Stella even though she ended up um seeing Desiree at some point they never really have this like kind of huge reconciliation that you see maybe in like movies or see in typical kind of this trope of like reunited you know mm -hmm. big reunion like it just kind of is like yeah we just kind of drifted apart and that is what it is and I just thought that was also just a great again subversion of a of a typical yeah you know ending that you might see in other books uh when Stella and Desiree are reunited um you know you kind of spend a lot of the book waiting for them to come back together or to see what it's going to be like when they're back together and you know there's I think a lot of pain on Desiree's part to have her sister like literally vanished one night um, and she never saw her again until, you know, however many years later when their mother passed away. And so when they are reunited after you've spent this whole kind of book wondering what that will be like and if it's going to be a heated confrontation, like they are reunited in a moment of grief. And so 
again, like I think that's what this, what Brit does so well as an author is that, you know, this thing that you're working towards as a reader, like this moment, um, she changes one element about it and shifts the whole mm-hmm. tone and tenor of the like scene. And so instead of being like, all the questions that we as readers kind of thought that Desiree would want to ask, like, why did you leave? What has happened? Mm-hmm. Are just no longer really important with this new dynamic. It's so much more about uh, the shared loss and not the the separate ways that they went. And it just becomes like a, a soothing moment almost. Like I, I felt like a little bit like a, a, a balm for me to kind of see them together again and not have it be a contentious thing, just yeah. a weary and kind of resigned reunion. Yeah. No, I thought, yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, I was waiting for this, like, you know, how kind of in a lot of movies there's this, like, you lied to me scene, mm-hmm. or like this big, like, oh, like, you know, how could you be, you have done that to me or, and there's this like big drama around it. And there just wasn't any of that. Like you were expecting when the two sisters reunited to, yeah, for Desiree to really like either lash out at her sister or, or ask all these questions or be really mad. And it's all very, I thought it was much more realistic about how families sometimes fight and reunite. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we can all agree. We all have our own family drama and you know sometimes <laughs> that's what's happened. It's like, you know, people fight or, or disagree or, drift apart and then they drift back together, but there's not necessarily like this really clean cut um, discussion of what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, you just kind of either drift back together or you kind of keep going your separate ways. Um, So I thought it was, yeah, great. Yeah. I also think that there was something really, uh, just in this kind of idea that like, you come back together and your lives have diverged so much at this point and you've got some shared history and suddenly you're with the one person who fully understands you. And really that was more for Stella than for Desiree. Desiree has people who know her and understand her. Um, Whereas Stella, it it really highlighted what Stella lost or gave up when she uh, chose to live as a white woman And then I think it kind of just changes the tone of the book a little bit from there on out as well, where there's not, again, like similar to what you were saying earlier, like there's not this huge climax. There's this, uh, we are all flawed humans and moving through the world and doing the best we can in any given moment and then living with the consequences of those actions. Um, And so it was, it was, really indulgent almost for us to kind of enjoy that time with them and like be a fly in the wall in that moment and not have this very clear written out this is how you betrayed me and this is this is what you got out of it like there was no like attack and I think it really made it that nobody was right and nobody was wrong um everybody was just living their lives and making choices and that's where they ended up yeah I think yeah the 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 lack of right versus wrong or that just it was so gray I I really liked that in the book is like um you know I think Stella's choice to like choose to become white or to live that life was um I think it was just so well done by the author because you could kind of understand why she made that decision even if you don't agree with it or you don't I mean frankly I don't think I can speak to what I would have done like I don't I don't have that experience, but, um, I just, it was very nuanced and I think the author did a really good job of 
describing how she ended up where she did um, and that it wasn't necessarily a right or wrong. Mm -hmm. It was just, that's kind of the path that she was on. Um, I don't know how you felt about that, but. Yeah, um, the the lack of a value judgment on it, I think was a gift to readers um, to kind of make our own assumptions or, you know, have our own reactions to it. I think that as, you know, two cis white women, we don't really have the same element of like knowing what that could have been like, or, you know, it's certainly a different lens, but there's also, you know, such a, an honesty and like vulnerability and how it was like presented where like, you know, Stella was able to pass as white. And from that, it gave her opportunities that were not available to colored women at the time. Um, Colored being the term of in the book, not appropriate now. Got it. Um, But yeah, so I think that that was like an interesting choice as well because she chose to pass as white um, because it was financially how she could support her and her sister. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually that kind of just snags a memory where the the term that they use for passing as white is passing over. And I thought that that was like a really interesting word choice and without any like historical context from like a the perspective of like, you know, being black in America in that, time like it kind of almost reminded me of like biblical aspects of like uh like passing over and passover like it just to me felt like uh that word choice i don't know why it stuck in my teeth as much as it did but uh passing over feels like you know when you pass over from one realm to the next and so like when you die and you pass over like you know harry potter passing through the veil I was like the veil. Oh my gosh. Okay. Whoa. And so like some of this stuff I thought. You also really like Harry Potter. Yeah. That will come up a lot. <laughs> um, and so that part all was like really interesting to me because it did, it was pass, like passing just felt like what I've always heard passing as like a thing where you could kind of like go back and forth. Passing over felt much more permanent. Oh, that's a good point. And also like, you know, when someone passes, mm-hmm. it's when they die, right? Yeah. So there, there is, to your point, it's, it's a permanent change yeah it's not a you can't really go backwards Mm -hmm. um but but I thought it was yeah I just really I thought the the story just really provoked for me the question of like how race is is such a societal construct Mm -hmm. because um you know Stella really you know both sisters can pass out as white or or black so really what does it mean to be white or black right like it it is such a you know no one knows in Stella's life that she's um, originally black. And does that change? Like if they find out that she is black, does that change in their view, how they see her? Should it, you know, there's just Mm -hmm. so many, like, I think really interesting um, just questions that come up from that of like, how do we define race? Is it based on someone, how they look or, or how they act or, or the background that they're from or, or, and how society, it's really created from societal um, construct and it's not really based in any um, 
science facts yeah. evidence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and and that also brings back to Reese. I mean, going back to Reese, mm-hmm. it's the same thing about gender, about how gender can be a really, you know, societal construct mm-hmm. about feminine versus masculine. Like, what does that mean? It's like mm-hmm. if you, you know, you're just a person and you decide to live your life in the way that you want, why mm-hmm. does it have to be defined in these really binary terms? Mm-hmm. I think is is another really interesting question that gets asked in the book. So I'm going to deep dive for a second. Um, I read this book on the heels of writing uh, or reading a book called uh, Fatal Construct, the um, invention of race as a biological element. um, And like race being not a biological element was like basically the thesis of that book. And it was really fascinating because what what the author of that book did, Professor Roberts was um, the author, was she really clearly highlighted how protected whiteness was. Um, And so like the first case that that book talked about was a case in New York where a um, male socialite, which by the way, I'd never heard men described as socialites before this case, um, who was like a millionaire uh, in New York around 1900, married a woman who was one sixteenth black. And so at this point, probably comparable to what was happening in Mallard at that point. Um, and so one sixteenth black. So 15 of her ancestors were white and one was black. And this guy's father made him sue her for divorce because she lied to him and said that she was white when she was really black. And so that's how, that's how protective we're being of whiteness. Um, and then she, genius that she was, decided not to deny that she was black, but to admit that she was black and that he knew it because he saw her naked before they got married. And he should have been able to tell by her breast that she was black. And she literally ended up having to flash the jury, her breasts in a courtroom, um, 12 white men, <laughs> and they found in her favor um, and they said, to be like a movie or a book. I know. I love this. I would, oh, come on, HBO. Yeah. And so basically it becomes this, it, it highlights this, you know, psychotic thing in American history that we protect whiteness in such a, a severe way um, that we couldn't allow somebody who had one black great grandparent to be considered white. Um, and so that is just, and by the way, like in internment in the forties, like if you were one thirty second Japanese, then you were eligible for internment. So like the America has, this is what was challenging to understand is that racism is so deeply embedded into every part of our society. And it has been for so long that like what's happening in the world now in this like post, uh, not post George Floyd, but like that has really been highlighted in the last few years of Black Lives Matter activism is that the things that we viewed as neutral before were rooted in white supremacy and to kind of like unlearn this now, which is a wildly overused phrase. And I apologize for that in advance, but you kind of have to dig deeper. And then when you dig deeper and realize that it's still there and you dig deeper and you realize it's still there, it's like, oh, white supremacy is absolutely embedded into the fabric of American society. And so this book, which kind of like has this very gentle light touch about passing or not passing and whiteness and blackness and, you know, you know, mixed heritage and how that works and, or how it doesn't, because this idea that, you know, the, 
uh, founder of Mallard was too black for white society and too white for black society is present still today about uh, people questioning the blackness of anybody like Kamala Harris as a recent VP nominee. Um, her blackness gets questioned because uh that's just embedded into us. Um, and Barack Obama too, it's like, well, he's only half black. Um, and it's like, I don't know who, I don't know who thinks that's a zinger. Um, and so these elements are still so prevalent. We're not at all past it. And so this book that takes place in as early as the fifties through kind of current day feels so timely. Yeah, no, it's, it's, that was, um, another, thing that I thought was great, as you mentioned, you know, starting in the 50s and 60s, and I thought showing this kind of every few years, the way the book's set up, it kind of takes place, like some chapters are in the 60s, and then it moves forward, it jumps forward to the 70s and 80s. I just thought that was also great, because you also have the changing society in the in the background, and how, you know, how different, um, in some ways, how far along this the American society has come, and, and that intervening in those intervening years, but also how it hasn't, you know, I think mm -hmm. that's what's interesting is in some ways um, the world changed and in some ways it really hasn't changed, um, which I guess is kind of depressing. But <laughs> <laughs> so depressing. It's really, it's really depressing actually, but, <laughs> but, um, but again, I think just great choice on the, like the way the author set it up, mm -hmm. I thought was great. Um, she, yeah, just killer job. Such a good job. Yes. The, the other thing I thought was interesting, and I'm not enough of an English class um, savant to know this, but have you read uh, Streetcar Named Desire or seen the movie? No. So I, I have not read it or the, read the play. I guess it's a play, but um, I saw the book, or not saw the book, I saw the movie recently with um, Vivian Lee and uh, Marlon Brando mm -hmm. and what was interesting when I was reading the book is I I don't know if this is just coincidence or maybe there are some ties but there's a lot of callbacks or the name there's some naming that is similar so Streetcar Named Desire takes place in New Orleans this takes place, a lot of this book takes place in New Orleans um Desiree in French Desiree means desire mm -hmm. um Stella is one of the main characters in that play um and is one of the main characters here so, um, and I think at some point there was a reference to Maison Blanche, mm -hmm. which is, I forget, that was the place they worked at maybe, mm -hmm. or something in New Orleans. Um, and Blanche Dubois is like a main character in Streetcar Named Desire. So I don't know like what that means. I'm sure there's some, <laughs> but I don't know, or maybe it is just coincidence. I, I don't know. So I was curious if, if there are any listeners out there, I would be curious <laughs> if someone can do a, a deep dive on that and let me know. Yeah. <laughs> A literary critique. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to figure it out, but I yeah. just thought that was interesting. <laughs> um, so how did this book challenge you to think? I think it challenged me in a lot of ways about yeah, about how I think about race or and um, you know, just what that means and what it means to be black, what it means to be white, also what it you know, I think as we mentioned, like I'm, you know, I'm a white cis male or not male, female. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Um, and uh, I, do, you know, yeah, there's a part of me that is never going to 100% comprehend what it is to go through American society as a black 
woman, right? And mm -hmm. so I think this book was just really eye-opening to me and like, what are the challenges that, um, you know, the, the main characters faced and in being black and going through a really segregated society in the 60s. And, and even today, you know, the book continues through the 80s and 90s and um, what it meant to be black then. Uh, I thought that was really interesting and definitely I thought eye-opening for me. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there was something really well done and lovely about, um, I would say four, but really it's five, because Reese, I think, also got this same treatment of, like, five people who were presented fully as they are, three-dimensional characters. Um, no one was perfect. No one was really, like, bad. Everybody was, you know given this kind of opportunity to be who they chose to be. Um, and I don't mean that in that, you know, uh, choosing whiteness or blackness or your gender identity. I mean that in every choice these characters made moved them along a path that they were on. Um, and so I think that that was, you know, Reese kind of got to a point where there was such like tenderness in how he viewed his own body and how Jude viewed his own body and or like their dynamic I thought was so loving and like there was such a, a kindness there and it, you you wanted that badly for Jude knowing where she grew up and then as you get to know Reese you get that as well and there's just a it, it like it really does boil down to this idea of like whatever, love is love. Um, but just like two good people loving each other felt like such a nice change of pace for how all of these other relationships in this book were presented. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it challenged like me in a way where I, I wanted to think a little bit more about why I was waiting for that shoe to drop and how normalized violence or tragedy was for communities that were not on the fringe of society, but like treated like they were. And so I thought that that was like a really good lesson into my own kind of like biases or like waiting for, you know, this normalization towards like tragedy. Yeah. Like almost you're like waiting, Oh, there's these two good people who really mm -hmm. love each other. That, that can't be it. Like mm -hmm. there has to be like some twist or mm -hmm. some terrible like plot twist, you know? Right. And you know, uh, the author just doesn't play into that. Mm -hmm. And and it's really lovely. It's like, oh, no, there's just two people who really love each other, and that's that. Yeah, and that's then, the book. <laughs> there you go. And, um, yeah, it, but it's true, because your mind is like, when you're reading, you're almost like, wait, but what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. Like, what's, but this can't, you know, mm -hmm. there's got to be something that, or I don't know. And there really isn't in, in that particular, I think, relationship. They definitely face challenges together, for mm -hmm. sure. Um but there's not like, you know, some big rift that happens mm -hmm. between them, um, which is interesting. And really the, the plot of their love story is not centered around the trans identity. I think that mm -hmm. that was really part of part of it where I was like, why am I waiting for there to be some big element about this to come up? But it just kind of reminded me and like that was, I guess, really what the challenge that I'm trying to boil this down into is that... Um, trans identity is part of an identity. It is not the whole plot. And like that, I thought was really well done in this book where it's, you know, a trans character whose whole life is not about 
being a trans character. Um, and I'm sure that that is like what so many uh, characters have had to like go through, especially like black characters in American pop culture of like, oh, there's going to immediately be this, like, let's talk about race or let's talk about, you know, all of these things that are stereotypical, a part of like the black, not, this is not the right way to say this, but they're like in every character where you're the only black character on screen, do you have to be the one to talk about it? And similarly in this book, in the, where you're the only trans character on the pages, like, does that have to be a part of it? And that I think was what was really nice that, nope, these are fully developed characters. This is not the one thing about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, all the characters were just so multi-dimensional. Yeah. Um, and so much to them, it, it was, yeah just great i thought yeah definitely recommend if you haven't five read it, out of five stars yeah although we, we gave most of it away yeah so, <laughs> so, so true <laughs> i also i mean it's just like a great page turner like beyond the fact that it just poses some really great questions i think it's super well developed it's just like a great mm -hmm. read like i read it in 48 hours yeah literally almost could not put it down mm -hmm. so it's just also like a really good read yeah the pacing of the writing is exceptional yeah. um so it does make it a very fun like you really do want to just find out what happens next exactly yeah um i guess <laughs> from there maybe i don't know if we'll talk about our next book or i guess we haven't figured that out talking yeah. about our next book but are you reading anything right now um, I just started Educated, mm. um, which, so I'm still quite um, early. Mm -hmm. I think I'm only about 50 pages in. But it's been good so far. I mean, I know it was a really uh, kind of buzzed about, like a book oh, a yeah. lot of buzz uh, maybe a year ago or yeah. over the last year. Um, and uh, that's been, yeah, it's been good. It's about a woman who grows up in um, rural Idaho and in a Mormon family that, um, you know, she doesn't really go to school or so I'm still in very her childhood years. Yeah. So I don't know where the story's going yet, but it's been good so far. Yay. Uh, I'm reading Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Oh, <laughs> how did are you enjoying it? So far, so good. I'm also very early in it right now. Mm. Um, but so far, I'm really enjoying, like, the tone of it. It's just, like, light and a little bit funny and a little – it just has, like, a little bit of charm about it um, that I'm enjoying. Uh, but I just was reading – uh, the Crazy Rich Asians series. Um, and so I just finished China Rich Girlfriend and so now I'm on to this. And again, it's just like nice to have these kind of lighter books um, when a lot of things feel very heavy. I haven't read um, the the second book in that series. Um, oh yeah, uh, China Rich Girlfriend. China Rich Girlfriend. Um, is it good? I read Crazy Rich Asians and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So. It is good. It is. It's just like a. It's a very fun world. It's very escapism. Like such a fun world to be a part of. Okay. Um. So. Maybe I'll add it to my library backlog. Five. Yeah. Would recommend. <laughs> um. Well, I guess thanks for listening. Yeah. And. We'll be back uh, with another conversation. Uh, we gotta work on our sign off. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Good, fee no, good feedback. Have we also said the name of our podcast? Oh, no. But maybe we should start that. <laughs> we should have, I guess, started that. But 
so our private, you know, basically we are two people talking about the books that we read and we have been childhood friends. So we decided to call our podcast, Not So Silent Reading. Um, we are also two children who used to enjoy sitting next to each other while we read books. So like, so again, yeah, like, this it. was not an allowed share time. No, no, no. Just... Yeah. Read oh. Your own book. Yeah. Don't talk to me. <laughs> right. And we can sit next to each other. Right. And then we'll catch up later. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so I like how this has evolved into our adulthood. Um, so thank you for listening to Not So Silent Reading. Hope to have you back mm-hmm. next time.